service, we'll continue with the sermon. And the sermon is based on our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21, and also 26 and 27. For those following along at home, you can look those verses up. For those here in person, you can follow along in your worship folder. And we'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. When I was in college, and even through my time at the seminary, I worked at Target. One of the jobs that I got to do at Target, one of the things I was trained in, was how to build bicycles. Now, if you think of a bicycle, it's a basic thing. Even kids ride bikes. It's got a couple of wheels, handlebars, pedals, a frame, seat. Got to have a seat, chain. On the other hand, bikes can get complicated. There are lots of pieces that you may not remember, recognize, or even think of when you think of a bike. But if you're building a bike, see, I would get them when they were loaded off of a truck and they came in a big flat box. As you can see, bikes are not flat. So I get to put all the pieces together. When you put it together, there are lots of tiny pieces on the wheels, and if you think about it, it's important for the wheel to be straight. So you have to make sure all those pieces are correct so that when you're driving, the wheels line up properly with the frame. That's the same with the handlebars, it's the same with the seat. And also when you get into more advanced bikes, the braking systems are very complicated. There's lots of tiny pieces that all can be adjusted and have to be adjusted for the bike to work properly. There's even these little tiny washers uh, that are right by the wheels and one edge of the washer is slightly larger so you can turn that and then tighten it and that actually angles how the rubber brake meets the wheel there's a lot of bikes you probably didn't think of before right when you got to put it together you recognize all of those things Again, you may not notice them, but if you ride a bike that was not put together properly, you would very quickly recognize it. If the brake system, especially, isn't calibrated properly and you go to brake and they're really tight, you probably fly over the handlebars, which you can imagine is an unpleasant experience. If the brakes are too loose and you try to stop, again, you'll probably slam into something which would not be pleasant. You don't have to be an expert to recognize those things when the bike isn't working properly. You also did not have to be an expert if you were living in the town of Nazareth to recognize Jesus when he got to town. In our gospel reading from Luke chapter 4, there was already a buzz about Jesus. The people of his hometown knew he was coming back. He had already been in the region preaching and teaching. People were praising him for his extraordinary wisdom, the way that he preached, what he said about the word of God. So they were eager to have him there. On the Sabbath day, the day when they would typically go to when they would go to synagogue, so think Sunday and going to church for us, Jesus went, as was his custom, and he was going to teach them. And he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he unrolls, we would flip, he unrolled the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The one who would come to fulfill this prophecy from Isaiah was the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus was anointed, the Holy Spirit came down on him at his baptism. He descended on him in bodily form like a dove, something that has never happened to anybody else during a baptism. It was to show Jesus was unique, set apart for these specific tasks. The anointed one would come to help the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, to bring freedom. He would usher in this new era of the Lord's favor and His grace. Jesus reads these powerful words in His hometown, where He grew up, the people that knew Him. Then He rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and He sat down. He's getting ready to preach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was a mic drop moment, if you were wondering. This is that moment in the romantic movie where the girl realizes that the guy that she likes, she's never going to end up with this guy. And you realize she likes him. It's the moment in the action film where the hero finds his strength or finds that weapon that he's finally going to use to finish off the villain. It's that pivotal moment where Jesus says, it's, it's me. I am the fulfillment of Scripture, pointing to that promised Messiah, the one who would change everything. And the people of his hometown just thought he would come home and they'd be proud of him because he would share some wisdom from Scripture. They were not expecting him to come home and say, by the way, I'm the promised Savior of our people and the entire world. He was an Israelite from Nazareth, just like all those gathered there. And yet he was also the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior, the true King of Israel. He was the head of his body, the church, unique, the leader. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he picks up on this, the head of the body. He compares the body of Christ, which is the church, to a human body. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. The point he's making here is very simple. The body is a unit. It is one thing. Yet the body is also made up of many parts. Yet toes and feet and legs and fingers and hands and arms, torso, a head... There's stuff on the inside too, like a brain and lungs and heart and liver and bones and tendons and muscles and veins and cells and stuff like that. But they all form one body. That's what makes the body. Those individual parts, you wouldn't call them a body. They're just parts and on their own, really, they're useless and they die. But together they form this body. And he says this is the same with Christ. 
Since the one Holy Spirit worked faith, since the one Holy Spirit baptized, washing you clean of all of your sins, you are now brought into one body. You share that same one faith in the one true God, in one Savior, Jesus, to save you from all of your sins, to take you to that one heaven. We are a unit, a body. This is true for all of us, regardless of your language or your nationality or your personality or your status. Being part of this one body is the most fundamental, the greatest, the deepest, the longest lasting, identifying feature of your life. Being part of Christ's body, the church. Parts of the body cannot survive separate from the body. If you heard a story about a woman whose pinky toe was severed from her body, if you heard that story, you would not think, oh, this lady now has two bodies. No, that sounds silly. You would say, yeah, she still has the body and it's together. It's lacking something, but it still works as a body. But then there's just the pinky toe. I told him it's useless. It dies. It's gone. Can't function apart from the body. The body's a unit. It must be made up of all of those parts to make the body separated. It's nothing. Paul gets at this. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul's using these very obvious truths about anybody's body to illustrate points about the church. His point is you have a unique role. You have unique spiritual gifts. And you've been brought in to be part of this body of Christ. Your temptation then is to think that your gifts have no use for the body. Or that you just don't have gifts. Your temptation also is to covet the gifts of someone else. Thinking, oh, if I only had that gift, then I would be of some use to the body of Christ, to my brothers and sisters, to this world on behalf of God. Pursuing those temptations, letting them fester in your mind and affect how you act is sinful. To deny who God has made you, to despise the gifts that he has given you is sinful. It goes against God's plan, who again has made you one, brought you into his body, and gifted you. And this sin is dangerous. It can lead you away from the body, which can even lead you away from Christ. It may cause you to even lose your faith and separate it from Christ, and you're spiritually dead. The good news is God wanted you to be part of of his body. God's response to your falling into that temptation, not wanting your spiritual gift, 
not wanting to function in the way that he made you or chasing after the gifts of somebody else and thinking, ah, if I could only serve in that way. God's response to that is, stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at others. And turn your eyes back to God. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote, But in fact, God, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He, just as God wanted them to be. God put the body together. God put Christ's body, the church, together. God knows every one of you. And through baptism, through the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit, He has brought you into that same hope, that one body. He wanted you to have your unique spiritual gifts, that the body would serve itself, that we would serve one another. So when you are stuck looking at yourself or trying to determine your place in the body, stop looking at yourself and others and look to Christ. Again, listen to what happened in Luke 4. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Fasten your eyes on Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's the one that has brought the church together. He's the one that came and preached good news. He's the Savior who brought freedom, healing, grace, and favor. At Romans 8, we hear a summary of all that God has done for us. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. God has done everything for you to make you part of His church. He always knew that you would be born. He had in mind to make you one of His people. He called you to faith, taking your dead, unbelieving heart lost in sin to death and hell, and He breathed life into it to give you confidence in the one true God, to forgive you of all your sins, to release you from guilt, to give you hope in this wonderful future in heaven. That all is not lost when you die, but you gain heaven and eternal life there. And until you reach heaven, you have purpose now. Not purpose to work for seven, eight, nine decades, and then it's all lost and given to somebody else. But purpose in Christ's kingdom that lasts. God wants the many parts of the body to be one. After the section from Isaiah 61 that Jesus referenced, after it speaks about the one who would come, the anointed one, the one who would bring freedom and healing, announce the year of the Lord's favor, it switches from talking about that individual, Jesus, the Savior, and it talks about the church. We read in Isaiah 61, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. 
Notice the three subjects in these verses. They, strangers or foreigners, and you, you plural, y'all. He's getting at the church. He's not just talking about the they and the people of Israel, the physical descendants, but even the strangers, the foreigners, like most of us. The Gentiles, people from other nations, all being gathered together to work for his kingdom. This is the one body, the church. All are called priests. All are ministers. All provide a service on behalf of God to bring his grace and healing in many various forms to the church and to this world. All working to point people back to Jesus. In 1 Peter 2, we read, But you, again, all of you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God made you one body with one purpose, all unique individuals that work together for God's common good. You are called to serve God, and all of you serve God in different ways. All of you serve one another, and all of you are served by one another. This is how the body works. When you think of a bicycle, you probably think of those simple things like wheels and handlebars, a seat and all that stuff. I'm guessing most of you have ridden a bicycle at some time. You probably don't think of all those tiny little pieces and how they need to work together. There are simpler bikes out there. You got a bike like this. If you watch how this works, I can get a better angle. Right? Duh. And then to stop, you go like that. Right? And that's really it on a simple bicycle. Not a lot of parts on this body. And you have a larger bicycle. I'm not going to pick this one up. There are a lot more pieces to this bicycle, but that means its function is much greater than that. God wants all of the pieces together. In those moments where you feel, I'm not spiritually gifted. I don't even know why God gave me faith. I have no idea what my purpose is in this world. There are other Christians, there are other people that are much more gifted. They're the ones that God wants doing the work. No. All are priests. All are ministers. All are spiritually gifted. That little tiny washer that's down here by the brake, it's like this big. But if the angle on it is wrong, then that brake pad will wear improperly. And if you lose control of the brakes, again, just let your mind wander what would happen if the brakes on your bicycle didn't work. Think if it was just the one on the back. And you were able to stop both tires for a long time, which is very effective. That one can't do that. This one, you can stop both tires. Think if the back brake pad finally wore off and you were just stopping with the front wheel. Again, an unpleasant experience from a tiny piece. All of us play a role in God's kingdom. God wants every part of his body functioning together. He all wants us united. He has done so through the Holy Spirit and through baptism. 
He gives a beautiful picture of what it means that we're all connected. A little bit later, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The many parts, all the brothers and sisters, all of God's people, all believers, are to be so close. And whatever affects whatever happens to one part would affect all of them. Again, whether good or bad, we would be in it together to help or to rejoice. This coming Saturday, it's January 29th, at 1 o'clock, in the building next door to this one, we're going to have a workshop where we dig into the Scriptures. We dig into the Bible, into God's Word, to see how He has uniquely made all of us the parts of the body to determine what our spiritual gifts are. And then after that, we're going to set up meetings with every individual that is able to attend to again talk more about who God has made you to be and how you get to function as one of those pieces of God's body, the church, at home, in your community, at work, at school, at church. It's part of what we call personal member ministry. Personal to each one of you every member and it's all ministry because we are all priests ministers called to service for God and his kingdom you and I God's people are the many parts that form one body in Christ amen hi my name is Gunnar Lederman the pastor at Divine Peace Church Rockwall in Texas Thanks for watching the sermon. If you'd like to watch more, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Divine Peace Church Rockwall. Thanks and God bless.